0: by being honest with ourselves. As a nation, for decades, we were perfectly happy to write off whole neighborhoods, whole cities, whole generations of young men and women. As long as it was an inner city problem, an urban problem, which is to say, a black people problem, a brown people problem. Send them to prison, into a system from which they'll never return. Maybe now, now that it's really come home to roost, now that it's the high school quarterback, your next door neighbor, your son, your daughter, now that grandmas as likely to be a junkie as anybody else, we'll accept that there has never been a real war on drugs. War on drugs implies an us versus them. And all over this part of America, people are learning there is no them. There is only us. And we're going to have to figure this out together.
1: One, two, get down! <laughs> be Cause to be the boss, I paid the cost to be the boss. Look at me.
2: My name is Tyrone Bose, owner of BPPW Heating and Cooling. Welcome to our show, The Call Tyrone Show. And here with me are my millennial co-hosts, uh, Leroy Myers, a graduate student at the University of Oklahoma. And a, he's also the assistant instructor there as well. And he's in Oklahoma now. And people in Oklahoma listen to us even as we speak. Say hello, Leroy.
3: Hello, Baltimore.
2: All right. And then we have uh, Zachary Leacock, social media entrepreneur who majored in... Uh, Audio production, radio, TV, and film at Howard University, The Black Harvard. Uh, he is here with us as well in the studio. So we have a, a, a barrage of talent
4: coming at you. Good afternoon, Baltimore.
2: Okay. Uh, what you just heard, uh, Baltimore, is uh, a sampling of James Brown. Okay. Now, we're not going to talk about James Brown extensively. We're just going to mention him in passing, but we must mention because, you know, the man's birthday is tomorrow. Okay. James Brown's born um, on May the third, so tomorrow's his birthday, and, and I'm just I give a shout out to James Brown, and he had a very uh, big um, uh, impact on music, music as um, um, music in, in our, our time, in our time, and, and even the young people may be saying, oh, so what's the big, big deal about James Brown? But so one of the things about James Brown was his band, the James Brown band was renowned, and one of the most sampled, one of the most sampled uh, uh, beats. In, uh, hip-hop history and in popular music is uh, James Brown's drummers uh, Clyde Stubblefield uh, I'm
4: sure Zach knows about that right that's from the uh, funky drummer record that's one of the uh, most used breaks in uh, hip-hop music uh, throughout hip-hop history
2: so you can see this is the father of funk and um, you know the godfather of soul if you let him tell it so you can see how he influenced uh, music you know uh, in our you know generations upon generations and he still continues to influence music because the records are being cut now today even as we speak, in hip-hop, are influenced by James Brown and the James Brown Band. And he's still keeping it funky, even though he's on the other side. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so what we're going to do today, we um, we're, we got a number of issues we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, uh, some of the things that, you know, how we got to where we are. And we're going to talk about some solutions. And so let's, uh, right write, write, write away, right away. And we're also going to talk about uh, Port Covington, and uh, we're going to touch on uh, Tyrone West. So right away, let's go to uh, um, the origin, you know, our, our, our agricultural origins, because a lot of us, we don't realize this, but a lot of us, most of us up here in Baltimore, either come from the South or from the Eastern Shore in our roots. If you b- take the time out to ask your grandparents or parents, you'll find out that you're from the South. <laughs> you know, in most cases, somebody in your lineage is from the South, because guess what, people? We were born here to be slaves. A lot of us don't want to admit it, you know. We're Indians and everything else, semi-holes and all this kind of stuff. And but we don't want to admit to our, you know, our African American heritage. If you feel your head and it's kinky, guess what? That's the only hair in the world because we're only in one place—that's so Africa. You know, so <laughs> we the only, only people on the planet with that type of hair. Everybody else has this funny hair, but we—we we have hair. The the animal kingdom doesn't even have. So let's uh, and and that's not taking anything for anybody else's ethnicity, but. You know, it is what it is. So be proud of your heritage. We, we're very tough people and we survived and we will survive. We're going to make it. So let's go to the origins, our, our origins.
0: Hip hop artist extraordinaire Lupe Fiasco grew up on the south and west sides of Chicago. But inside, his home was always an island of sanity, a supportive, creative environment. What was different about your family? My mother and my father were very intelligent
4: and politically oriented and active. So it, it, you know, I got book smart and street smart. You know, was uh, thirteen.
5: And the worst thing that my family could have ever done was left the South, was left Mississippi. I should have stayed.
0: But this was the land of opportunity. Here, it was, Detroit, and they the came out, the You
5: north. know, then we were never hungry down in Mississippi. We got here, depending on welfare, whatever, and they became alcoholics, abusive to the children, and wives, and the children came out in the streets and just everybody lost control. And now it's
2: okay. Now, you know, this is the story happened in Chicago. The same things, people, that plague us uh, in all of our cities, are the same, same type of origins. If you look, that's like 10 major cities where black people live. And, and um, uh, shoot, among them are Detroit, Jackson, uh, Mississippi, uh, Miami, Gardens, uh, Miami Gardens, Florida, Beemore, Memphis, New Orleans, Flint, Michigan, Montgomery, uh, Savannah, Georgia, places like that, that where where there's large populations the largest populations of black people in this country. We kinda we kind of centered in, in ten major cities, uh, New York's one of them, too. Um uh so we're n we, again, we're a minority, but a lot of times we live in segregated communities, so it doesn't appear to be so. And uh we kinda again, we kind of great in, in 10 cities and when they have common origins, especially up north. A lot of us came from the south. Now in Baltimore it's almost like a straight line. In Baltimore, a lot of you came from North Carolina, South Carolina. A lot of you look, people listen know what I'm talking about. You came from North Carolina, or South Carolina. A lot of you in your origins, and um, the people in Mississ- and, and um in places like uh, Chicago and the Midwest, they came from Mississippi a lot of them. I learned that from you know being in the military and stuff, traveling around the world and talking to different black people from you know different parts of the country, and so so we tend to come like straight up <laughs> for whatever reason, you know, during the great migration from the south. Okay. Um, the 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 other thing is um, uh, the same formulas that plague us, um, the same formulas that plague us um, here in Baltimore plague us in other places, and for the same reasons. You know, we have the uh, you know, of course, we have drug prohibition, and when you combine that with impoverished neighborhoods, then you get large amounts of crime and violence. It's the same formula. That's why the same thing that's going on in Baltimore. You can go to any major city that I just mentioned. And you'll find the exact same thing, people, the exact same thing, because, you know, it's the exact same formula. It works every time to to oppress people. You put you put um, a large amounts of uh, a black marketable item such as illegal drugs in a community. And then, you know, the result will be these impoverished people. Some of them, not all of them, a small minority of them enough to make it like miserable for everybody else will indulge in the selling of this stuff. And um, uh, Zach, you want to add anything?
4: Um yeah, um um that's very true that uh you know, I'm about our southern roots, you know, just going to Howard and having friends from, you know, various different cities. I have a lot of friends from Los Angeles and the Bay Area, Oakland, and um you know, most of them, you know, they trace their lineage directly back to uh Mississippi. Um and you know, um you know, we talk about it on the show a lot. Um you know, how these uh, areas in these pockets of poverty uh, were created through various policies um, and then you know you give poor people something um, that is going to make them money um, being drugs and you make the drugs illegal which increases the value of them um, then you know people are going to do what they have to do in order to try to survive and then you know the black market um, not only does it increase the value but it makes it you know more dangerous um, and that's the root of a lot of the violence now we're in the not community.
2: we're not no way condoning uh drug sales out <laughs> Or the use of drugs. Correct, I think right. you, you, if you use drugs, you stop. If you sell drugs, you stop. But you know, we're, we're just explaining the phenomena and why we have the exact same situation. Now you can build a rec center or whatever, but you got the exact same situations happening in Cary, Indiana, people in these joy right. and in Chicago because of the same phone, it works every time to oppress people, and it's it's, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed to work. Uh, Leroy. Oh uh, yeah. So. Um
3: so going back to James Brown really quick uh if anyone is interested in learning a bit more about James Brown through I would say a different lens uh you should go and check out Al Sharpton's The Rejected the uh, the Rejected Stone. It came out in 2014 and he 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 adds a different interesting take on um James Brown when it comes to his personal life and tour life because uh at one point Sharpton was uh I believe uh James Brown's uh, tour manager. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm um, really interesting, but, uh, but yeah, so going back to, uh, going to our uh, Southern origins, um, yeah, so that, that is really true that, you know, till this day that the, the great majority of, uh, blacks still remain in the South and even during the great, the great migration, um, there was a relatively low amount of blacks that made it up here to, to Northern cities, such as, you know, Chicago and Baltimore. And then if you, if you look at, uh, you know, historic black populations, like how you pointed out to our own, um, Charleston, for example, uh, Charleston served as a really major, you know, slave port. Around 40% of African slaves were shipped, um, were shipped into Charleston in the 1700s.
2: Okay, let me let me interject something, Leroy, and I want you to continue on that point, okay, people. So we were not born here to be basketball players and and musicians and 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 uh, rock stars or or, or um, rap stars, okay? We were born here for slavery, okay? Let's get that straight. A lot of people don't want to accept that, but it's the reality. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, people, you know, when I talk to people about this. A lot of times they don't want to hear it, but hey, we got to face you know, go face our history so we can understand what's going on today. A lot of stuffs in today. Go ahead, Leroy. I'm sorry.
3: Uh, yeah, and um, and and in closing, uh, when it comes to uh, this, I would say the southern the southern roots is that it's this rural aspect, and that you know, following slavery, the great majority of southern blacks they wanted to remain that they they wanted to, to they wanted to maintain that rural lifestyle. So instead of going to urban areas, you know, following, you know, in the 1870s, 1880s, they chose to try to, you know, uh, get their own communities and maintain uh, these different forms of autonomy through agricultural lifestyles. However, that, you know, that didn't really Because that's what we, that's what that we knew best, <laughs> picking God
2: and stuff right. like that. Right. We were renowned for agricultural uh, um and uh, for, uh, towards up to the 20s and the 30s, we owned massive amounts of land. You know, we, we did and we, we lost it, most of it, you know, through trickery. And a lot of times you would get a, a letter in your mailbox in the South by the Klan and it will say your house, your, your property has been bought. And there'll be a dollar in there with that letter. OK, so a lot of people left, you know, under duress. And if sure. a, another thing was, if you were a young lady and uh, you could be raped in the South and in and, and some states like, you know, Mississippi and the like. It, you couldn't even be prosecuted as a white man if you raped somebody, you know, a black woman. So, go ahead, I'm sorry. That's why I thought yeah, stuff
3: right. is a lot of people left yeah. when they do um, came of age. Yeah, and you know, and finally, you know, um, I would say another major point when it comes to black movement to the north is the, uh, the the fall of cotton prices after a while.
0: Right.
3: Which is something that, you know, whites and blacks all throughout the South had to deal with.
2: Okay. Let's talk about how we got to where we are.
5: Uh, you know the neighborhoods were communities, no vacant lots, there were families, all over kids in the street. You could go outside and play, and not worry about your children. And somewhere in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, it started to change and become more violent. Is
0: Englewood right? Hey, look, it's a pretty staggering body count. The sad part is that it's been like this. Right? And the only reason this story now is because white people are it. And it's like oh that's terrible. It's like this been like this for thirty years. How come it wasn't terrible thirty years ago? We actually could have did something. Does a hip hop artist have an, any any obligation really to to speak about anything positive or even smarter than cars, girls, or where's my money? <laughs> um, I guess it depends on where you come from.
4: Um, and then do you feel an obligation to where you came from? A lot of people in the hood don't take me serious. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they, won't take, they don't take Chuck D serious. Mm-hmm. Because at least you take somebody who's rapping about crack and rapping about dope. That is actual thing that they can go get and sell and make money that day if they wanted to. You can't uh, preach to them Black Panther Party or, or you
1: know, Marcus Garvey or this. Because they can't go out and get it and actually sell it and monetize it and make some money off of it. Right.
2: Okay. Again, as I said before, this is why I'm using Chicago because I could pick any city, and, and you'll get the same result because of what I said. I mean, I'm telling you what the formula is. What well, the formula is, and it works. And it could have been a more brilliant plan if the K, the Grand Wizard KKK, had thought it up. You know, to put pl- take uh, uh, drugs and places in our neighborhoods. And I'm not saying it's conspiracy or whatever, but by accident or on purpose, the war on drugs has been used to oppress our people. Now, and, and to me, it doesn't really matter what, which which it was, but. The impact that it, it has, and as you just heard, um, they they were saying that um, in the '80s everything changed. The '70s and the '80s. Now, if, if you <laughs> were around, you know, before the before the '80s, you know, you could see that things really did change. You know, I remember when the, um, the crack epidemic hit. That's what happened in the '80s. The crack epidemic hit. I remember when it when it hit. You had young young men. You had sixteen year old young men running around here with big fat gold chains. Play of money to be made. People lined up to buy crack and all this all this stuff. And then and, and um play be money to be made uh selling uh, crack. And a lot of people thought they was gonna make a career out of selling crack. <laughs> you know? And so we've we've become our culture has become addicted to these black markets because they exist. And um and um, you know, you got young people again, with once you develop this criminal record, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. You're caught in that trade and there's not a whole lot you can do, you know. You know, it's, it's hard to get a job and all that stuff once you get branded as a uh, the next offender. It's like a brand. It's like a slavery brand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Zach. I was
4: going to say yes. Um, And, you know, yesterday um, I went to the gas station and I was talking to somebody who was uh, outside, uh, you know, begging for money. And I asked him, how did he get into the situation? You know, how did he get here? And he said every time he gets out of jail, um, there's no opportunities. And, you know, no matter what he tries, he said this last time he got out of jail, he, um, you know, tried to get some housing and he had everything lined up. But, you know, some things didn't work out because of his various convictions. And so now he's sitting outside of the gas station, um, you, know, you know, asking for money. Um, so you can, you know, directly see uh, the effect that it has on people. I'm sure he's, you know, been arrested and locked up, you know, multiple times Um you know, throughout his history, and um, you know, every time he gets out, there's nothing for him to do or nothing to to get out of that cycle and that situation that's you know created by the war on drugs. So you know, we talk a lot about statistics, um, which are you know real, but you know that's just an anecdotal story of you know something that's just just real, some random person who I decided to talk to yesterday, um, and it's very right. you know poignant.
2: Right. Um, and we're going to talk about that. Um, as far as what you were saying, we're going to hit on that. Uh, uh, Leroy, you got anything to add?
3: Uh, yeah, so you know, um, you know that's an example of institutional racism, and I guess not, uh, not to uh, keep going back to the uh, the 19th century, but you know we've seen it time and time again. Uh, you know, going back to uh, Southern blacks after slavery, the Freedmen's Bureau, you know, um, something that was uh, aimed to help uh, African Americans, but it just it, it, it just didn't help out because of lack of resources as well as um, you know certain things in the you know in the system in the institutional system of racism that. That just uh, hindered each and every um, each and every uh, you know uh, thing uh, that was put in place to try to you know create this kind of black uplift.
2: Right now, and, and, and now as you mention that, yeah, I know you don't want to keep going back to the eight hundred, but there is some linkage, and and uh, they actually created a system of of uh, peonage right after slavery, mm-hmm. where they could they could um, they can put you on chain gangs and everything else for, for breaking Jim Crow laws, like reckless eyeball looking too hard at to white women, <laughs> you know. So, Something that sounds crazy today, you could actually get yourself, you know, in trouble, you know, start, not stepping off a curb for, for a white man. You could be on, in chain gangs and working on farms because the South had become dependent on that cheap labor. And they developed something called sharecropping, which is a pseudo type of slavery. With sharecropping, you paid your rent by working the land. And it was never, you never paid all your debts off. A lot of those people had to leave in the night and go normal to get away from that, that system, which is nothing more than a uh, 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 pseudo version of slavery. So what yep. we're going to do now is—I'm sorry, Leroy, you saying, add something? Oh,
3: no, no, no.
2: Okay, so 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 you see the things that have been put, and we're not making excuses or anything like that. You know, I personally, I feel like I've been able to, to achieve a lot in this country, you know, but that doesn't negate the fact that I know that there is institutional racism and there's institutional inequalities that needs to be the met and, and dealt with for, for, you know, other people that haven't been so successful. Um, so what we're going to do—I see we got cars, but what we're going to do is we're going to—just um, give us a second— what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, uh, the, a new way to throw people away. A new way to throw people away. Then we're
0: going to talk about school. Now, why in the world would I be going there? Well, whether we like to think about it or not, there are human beings behind these walls. Yes, some very bad ones, but then some who I've heard are just people who have done bad things. Some who just made mistakes, got caught up in the system. And I want to meet these men. 3,864 inmates here at this prison. Currently there are 731 guys are on death row here in San Quentin. As we walk the yard, I see a lot of black faces. I wish I could say I was surprised. While only 13% of America's population is black, black people make up 40% of its prison population. And there's more bad news. Due to over-sentencing and unequal application of the law, one in three black men will go to prison sometime in their lives. I mean, he made that statement, he told the truth. Because a lifer is bread and butter for a whole lot of people that work for the Department of Correction. What they're talking about is the business of prison. The U.S. spends around $70 billion a year on prisons. To put that in perspective, look at this chart. Since 1986, we've increased spending on higher education by only 5.6%. Not great. We increased spending on kindergarten to high school by 69%. Sounds pretty good, right? But we've increased spending on prisons by a whopping 141%. And while we got our charts out, let's look at another one. During that same
6: talk to people on the outside and go, they did this horrible thing, that defines them, they should be in prison for as long as the cells have room for them. Well, there there are men who have been here since the 70s and I would say, well, how many of the people watching this program are the same person they were in 1978? We all change. I think the greatest tragedy in our culture is that we found a way to kind of throw people away and ignore them. And it goes against my values as a Christian, but I think it goes against our values as Americans, that these are people, these are our fellow citizens, and there are so many of them, and disproportionately men of color. And it's wrong, I think really um, prison, I think nowadays should be a call to us to look at ourselves, to search our souls and say, we're doing something wrong here. We're not treating our brothers and sisters the right way. And we need to change. We need to live up to the ideals of what made us
0: Americans in the first place. It's powerful to hear that come from a member of the cloth. And I don't think I do have a vote, but you have my vote as next pope, if that comes
2: <laughs> Okay, so if you were listening, and again, when I see we go, just give me a minute and we'll get to the calls. Um, so, so you see, if you were listening to that clip, if you were paying attention. They were saying that one in three one in three um, uh, African-American males born today are going to be incarcerated at some point in their life. Okay, that's why we harp on things like the Tyrone West uh, killing and, and, and the Freddie Gray killings, because our children grandchildren, we don't change things. The way the system is set up to entrap us and our, our kids and our, our people with this mass incarceration BS, then somebody in your family, one, one out of three black males in your family, will be incarcerated. We don't want them beat to death over stuff like they said... They would look for marijuana with Tyrone West. That's not, I mean, and I, I, when I got a chance to talk to uh, Bernstein on the phone, I told him I, I didn't care if it was 75 pounds of marijuana. That doesn't give you a right to kill somebody, it's not a capital offense. Okay, let's go with Leo.
4: Okay, good afternoon, Leo.
6: Yes, good afternoon, my friends. Good afternoon, and Leo. I thank you for what you're doing and the way you're doing it and bringing a, a higher level of consciousness on how many of us have been programmed. Uh, and when when I hear the term genocide, I, I know it has been defined as the systematic extermination of a people. And I guess when I hear others say, well, blacks are killing blacks. Why do we do that? As if we don't understand how we've been programmed. I'm not justifying it. Absolutely I'm not, not saying it Nobody should happen, has. but I am saying that we've got to keep exploring ways to break the cycle And the chain that you've so clearly laid out for us on how we've been trapped, it is by design. And so, uh, again, I appreciate very much. just want you to know what you're doing and the way in which you're going about it. Perhaps more of us will search for answers instead of condemning each other and understand that black unity can only be achieved if we uh, join hands and, and not allow ourselves to be divided and conquered As is the case today, and and the drug trade is a a classic example. It's a trap. That's here for us to brilliant, brilliant trap to use to kill us, (laughs) and we've got to come out of that trap and not allow ourselves to continue to be victims of genocide. Right. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Leo, for calling and calling in uh, (laughs) next week. Um, Yeah, uh, Chaka Zulu was. If you saw the movie Chaka Zulu. Um, I didn't read. I didn't, I didn't. read the book. I should have. But I, didn't, I didn't get a chance. By the way, there's a new book on James Brown out too. By by, uh, I think it's named James James McBride. Um, that's very informative. Twenty uh, came out in 2016. Uh, that that you know, you could that if you want to learn more about James Brown. Um, but uh, Chaka Zulu said that the way you trap a monkey, uh, if you were paying attention, is very, very, very wise. It, is you you um, take some sweet fruit and you put it in a bottle. Okay, and you put the fruit within, so the monkey see the fruit or smell the fruit. And once the monkey reaches his hand into that bottle. Oh, by the way, by the way, Zulu was a great African warrior. He's a, uh, <laughs> he tells you the historically challenge. He was, uh, um, he had an empire, the Zulu nation was his, was his empire, okay? So he said, the way you trap a monkey, and there was a, monkeys were delicacies, uh, by the way, in Africa, in that part of the world at the time. And he said, The way you trap a monkey is you put some, some sweet fruit in a bottle. And what the monkey will do is he'll, he'll smell that fruit and he'll go up to the bottle and he'll stick his hand into that bottle. He'll grab a hold of that fruit. But the way the bottle's designed, you, he can't get his hand out while he's holding that fruit. As long as he's holding that fruit, he can't get his hand out of that bottle. And that monkey will hold that fruit uh, long enough for you to walk up on him and bang him upside his head and knock him silly. And that's how you catch a monkey. Okay, and this is, and I don't want to compare, <laughs> compare, don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing black people or Negroes selling drugs in, in, in our communities as, you know, any type of primate or anything like that. Because we have a very bad history of people comparing us to primates, you know, even the, they even compared to the president's family, you know, in some of these articles I've, I've unfortunately, read. Um, but we got to get out of this trap, you know, we got to figure things out and see what's really, you know, what's really in this. And that, that war and drug I'm telling you, is leading to mass incarceration. That, that is the formula. And it works in every Major urban area with black folks. Next caller.
4: Okay, we'll go to Mark. How's it going, Mark? Hey, brothers. How y'all doing today? Doing all sure. right.
1: Great show as usual. Um, man, you know, I'm so glad that you, you that you talk honest about um, what the crack addiction uh, did to our um, community.
2: It destroyed our it. <laughs> we don't have a community anymore. Like they were yeah. saying on that clip, we had nice communities. I remember the Afro cleanup block. You remember that stuff. And yeah. we actually had real yeah. communities. We don't have that. They don't I'm exist 61. anymore. Yeah. It, they don't exist. you know as well as I do Mark the things things aren't just the way they were before crack hit us you know it destroyed our community and it wreaked havoc we were proud of our communities we were proud um of how clean our blocks were we had a clean clean block uh, um competition to see who had the cleanest
0: blocks
1: we did you know, Tyrone yeah. and you know I'm gonna tell you Tyrone one thing I, I i i i take my hat off to people like John Singleton and people that did movies the Hughes brothers and stuff they would they were um, honest about what was going on in California. Not only the police, um, you know. In every one of those movies, they showed you the police uh, corruption, but they also showed you the, the, the killings and the and, and and the people coming out. You know, uh, uh, look. One guy said he came out and uh, his son was three years old. He left his son standing out there on the steps and went around the corner to get some some crack and stuff like that. You know. And then you see, the, you know, the, the mothers and, and what it's done. To
2: right. You. Right. And a lot of people caught a fastest
1: lot. growing population. Right. you know it's, it's crazy, Tyrone. Let, let women me women interject. Let me
2: interject, uh, Mark. Uh-huh. A lot of us have caught onto that crack thing, and then there's a, there's not as big as mu- as much crack as you used to see crack addiction. A lot of people have been, fortunately for us, have been able to break that cycle. What we haven't broken, however, because they got this new phase of addiction. Is uh-huh. the cycle of where, you know, we're we're selling this stuff, you know, right, and, right, and uh, right. we need to break that cycle uh, for the sake of our young people. Somehow we got to figure out a way. Either we got to have to take the profit motive out of it or, or something, because there's a big, huge trap for our young people who can't see down the road that it's important to have a clean criminal record to get a job. And we're going to talk really about some is solutions.
1: You know, Tyrone, yeah. it's a lot of, you know, people don't talk about the 50 or 60,000. I was caught up in addiction myself for 15 right. years in June, God willing. Right. I'll be clean in sober 26 Congratulations. years, Congratulations. Um, and I have a, a meeting in my neighborhood at our Action Center, and that brings me to this point, um, Tyrone, at the action centers, a lot of times people don't get the information as help. The, the, at point, case in point, a young man was homeless. He used to go to school with my children. I was walk, up on York Road, and he was walking down. He was two blocks away from the action center. Didn't know he could go in there and get some help for being homeless. I took him back up there. Right. You know, I've had a, a, a community meeting in there, a support group for addicts, alcohol. Drug recoveries. Anybody want to get their life together? Going on twenty-five years at fifty-two twenty-five York Road. Of Tuesdays at six o'clock p.m. Um, at that action center. And they got. Uh,
2: could, the you Tyrone, could you repeat that?
1: Tyrone, I Got a paper. Repeat that information, uh, Mark. Mark. Mark,
2: repeat the information. Uh-huh. Repeat uh-huh. the information on where the center is, please.
1: Now fifty-two twenty-five York Road. Okay. If but you- it's action centers all over Baltimore.
0: Okay.
2: Um,
1: Tyrone to have the help. All
0: right. Okay, yeah, Mark.
1: the war has to be on the collateral damage of of the the, uh, the crack addiction and the heroin addiction. That's what the war got to be on. Right, and
2: it's also got to be on trouble. stop uh, breaking the cycle. We got to break the cycle. We got young break people the cycle, coming. Yeah, young people coming behind these other ones. when you lock up a black person for selling dope, there's like 10 on waiting to take his place on that corner. And yes, we got to stop that. You know, we got to right, stop. Young we got to end this.
1: Too. Tyrone. A lot of young people are younger, you know, hanging around the gas station. I always talk about them selling them army knives at them gas station to convene. Right. A lot of young people hang around there.
2: Right, and we got to break the cycle of poverty, too, and lack of opportunity in our communities.
1: All right, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. All right, y'all take care, man. You too. All right.
2: Okay, so, so um, again, you know, we've got we to figure out a way to break the cycle. Like I said, if we don't take the profit motive, out of out of this uh, thing, it's going it's going to tell you people. And then a lot of people say, "Well, well how, if it's not important, if it's so important, how come Al Sharpton and uh, all these people?" Are? I don't think they really get it. You know, a lot of our you know, and I'm not taking anything from Al Sharpton. You know, I admire a lot of work that he's done. He's done a lot of work in our communities and, and for our communities. But you know, I don't think a lot of, the, with the exception of Michelle Alexander, who's a civil rights lawyer, a lot of our leaders don't don't, don't understand. You know, that this thing's contributing to a a, a, a situation where we're going to have one in three. <laughs> of our black male was born today put in jail That's serious That's very serious, we can't sleep on that uh, So let's go to the commercial And then we're going to talk about some solutions Did your air conditioning go bust this summer Or do you need a new furnace for the coming winter
5: I think
3: you better call Tyrone
5: Those other companies try to reduce My family's bank account to zero but when we called Tyrone, he became our hero.
2: Hello, this is Tyrone, owner of BPPW, telling you don't be overcharged for your air conditioning and heating installations. BPPW can install a new furnace, heat pump, or air conditioning system at very reasonable rates. Don't wait until icicles are hanging off your nose this winter. Call BPPW now at 410-978-410-978.
4: Six eight eight nine. We currently offer a 10-year warranty on parts and labor and a lifetime warranty on compressors for air conditioning and heat pump installations. You may qualify for a 30% tax rebate on some installations. So, before you go with the other guys, call Tyrone now at 410-978-6889. Okay, we're back once again with the call Tyrone show and to call in and join in the uh, conversation Go ahead and dial 410-481-1010. Uh, we'd love to hear your input.
2: Absolutely uh, We would love, love to discuss your views on this as well and then solutions Some solutions you may have, you know, I, I certainly will be the first one to admit I don't have all the answers, but I do know some of the problems I can identify problems. I do, I, I'm very good at decision-making and uh, identifying what a problem is and attacking the source of that problem. I've been doing that all my life as, as, as a businessman and, and as an Army officer. So this is not something new to me. I can see, when I can see things, you know, clearly of what's caused the problem, I'll try to immediately come up with a solution for that problem if I can. And, you know, the things that you can solve, you try to solve the things you can't, you'll spend a lot of time dwelling on it because it'll drive you insane. Uh, we just had an election, by the way, and, um, <laughs> okay. Very simple. Very form. on the national level, we just had, you know, we just voted, you know, we all voted in the primaries on Tuesday, uh, last Tuesday, anyway. And uh, very, the national level, was, uh, national level was very simple. Everybody, look, people, Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee. All right, I know we're fantasizing that somebody's going to stop him. There are enough people that actually, no matter how many people dislike him, they actually want a, a wall built between Mexico and the United States. There's people that actually feel that way. You may not agree with it, but. Guess what? There's people that actually want a wall built between here and Mexico. They do, and they, they they agree with just about everything Donald Trump is saying. There's enough people to have him currently the front runner and the presumptive nominee. So let's stop hanging on to this fantasy that somehow you know it's, it's not going to happen. I believe um, that you know, Donald Trump will be the uh, re, um, re, uh, Republican uh, nominee. And anyway, the people that's running against him, <laughs> they're worse. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> I mean, the one guy that even has a chance. Um, what's uh, uh, Ted Cruz. Cruz? Yeah, Ted Cruz. He's worse than Donald Trump. This man um, uh, recited Green eggs and ham, you know, on the floor of the Senate. So you can imagine the the, um, the uh, nominees for the uh, Supreme Court that he's going to have for us. That's going to be very painful. I mean, if, if he becomes the uh, um, nominee, and can somebody please tell me why is John Keish is running for president of the United States? John Kasich's got about as much. As much chance of being president of the United States as I do, okay? I, I probably got a better chance. You know what I'm saying? But um, Johnny is I mean, he, I think he won like one state, his own state, Ohio. He's governor of Ohio. He's the only state he won. So I don't know. Every, I mean, uh, he maybe he needs to get some mental help because he, every time he, he comes on, he says, says how he's going to be the president, and he's the only one that can beat Hillary Clinton. And Now, if he's the only one that can beat Hillary Clinton, the Republicans are in trouble because you know, he can't even win an election. Okay. And uh, Clinton seems to be the um, presumptive nominee, uh, the, and we all love the Clintons. You know, like I said, we all love it because uh, Bill Clinton knows how to play the saxophone, and yeah, you, know, you go to church with y'all, and and you know, hold hands, and they and they eat uh, chicken with y'all at the church.
4: And Hillary has hot sauce in her bag, <laughs> right? Right.
2: So, you know what? You know, okay, that's your thing. I would rather have somebody that's going to. Um, we got some serious issues as as, as uh, African Americans in this country, and I would like to have somebody that will address those issues, you know, it's an emergency situation. And um, from what I've seen, Bernie Sanders seems to have a plan, you know, to put black people back to work, to, um, you know, address the issues that impact us as black people. He's the only one that's saying it outright, you know, out loud, as as far as, you know, as far as I'm concerned. And and uh, Hillary Clinton, okay, fine, y'all want to, I know the feminists are mad at me because, you know, if you're a feminist, you want Hillary Clinton to be the first female president. It doesn't have to be her, people. It doesn't have to be her. And um, and her husband actually designed a system of mass incarceration or, or passed the bills for it that, that we're suffering from today. So I don't expect anything to change with her. But this whole field is abysmal as far as the national level. I, you know, I don't see anybody that I'm really crazy about in the national level. And um, as far as the, uh, the, the local, uh, including uh, Sanders, by the way, but as far as the local level, um, uh, it looks like Pew is going to be. Now, I know Shield Dixon is, is um, contesting it, you know, because it's so close, and and I would if I was her. <laughs> but for now, it seems like uh, Pew is going to be the um, the mayor of Baltimore because she's going to, she's re, the Democratic nominee, okay? She's going to run against the Republicans. She's going to win. <laughs> Baltimore's a Democratic town, so there's no chance of any Republican becoming mayor. I don't, we haven't had a Republican wasn't McAllen or somebody's <laughs> like <laughs> in the past, you know, 40, 50 years, so that's not, I don't, so she as by winning the, the uh, democratic uh nomination, she in fact will probably be if it holds up, and the, the, you know she in fact will probably be the, the uh, she's the presumptive mayor Baltimore. okay, and um hopefully she's better than what we've been looking at, and um some of the things she said is, is, is you know, and again, the numbers for one for what 481-1010 If you want to join in, but some of the things that she said, I actually, I actually like. Um, she was, she wants to, uh, she wants to balance between the business and the uh, political communities because we're they basically, run, <laughs> Baltimore Development Corporation basically runs Baltimore City, okay, and um, you know, <laughs> um, she uh, some some of the things she said, uh, she for, that disturbed me. She doesn't, she doesn't want to offer an opinion about Under Armour, you know. She wants to uh, uh, keep things as they are, not question what the uh, new mayor's doing. But, you know, she wants to stay out of that and just start from from, from where she's she's coming in at. And, um, and uh, okay, uh, uh, Stephanie Rawls-Blake's uh, chief of staff, uh, Calopi Partharmos, hosted a meet in Greek for a few people in Greektown. So people are thinking that she's going to be the mayor. Okay, so they're already accepting that. And by the way, that uh, in case you didn't know, Helio Thermuse, Thuram, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, used to be the deputy mayor until people found out she lived in Baltimore County. <laughs> so you actually have people from Baltimore County running the city. But, hey, you know, hey, uh, the, uh, the police, most of the police forces from outside the city and, and most of the fire department. So, you know, <laughs> I guess we don't care. But um, I, I, I certainly don't believe that anybody that's not a resident of Baltimore City would be deputy mayor of anything. You know, I'm, I'm really against cabinet officials that are, aren't residents and have a vested interest in being, you know, run the city. Because you you have people qualified in the city, people, to do those jobs. You know, don't feel like you have some kind of inferiority complex. Stand up and demand stuff. Stop demanding stuff. Demanding people live here. Let them, you know, if they if they want to run the public, public schools, let their children go there. Okay? Don't be subject to to the dictates of people that have no vested interest in your situation. Okay, and and some of the other things, she wanted to do uh, a ver- uh, version of the uh, Dollar House program. I, I really like that. And uh, the thing to remember is what made the Dollar House program a success, if she's listening, and I hope she is, or city council, anybody you know that has power to do anything with the Dollar House program. The thing that made it a success was not so much that the houses caused the dollar. That's very important. You know, but a house could cost 20000 You know, what made it successful is the um, low-interest loans. They were 1% loans that were offered by the city. And people go, oh, where are we going to get the money from? Where are we going the money from? Oh, well, they, already, they already got um, $700 million allocated for Baltimore City. $94 million to tear down houses. And you got $600 million to give away to developers. So the money's there, all right, to, uh, to, to do the program. It's there. We just got to allocate it in a proper direction to help homesteaders and people that want to rebuild our communities. Instead of giving it away to wealthy developers who, by the way, are already wealthy people. Okay, so so let's let's, let's look at that. And, um, you know, it's just some of the things that, you know, we, we, we got to press people to do our bidding. And uh, we have a lot of power in the city because we're a minority. And this, I mean, I'm a, a majority in Baltimore City. The um, blacks are 68%. And so we have a lot of power in the city. Let's press people. Let's make people do what we want them to do. And let's, let's stop asking and stop begging and start telling. This is what you will do. Okay. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to segue over to um, uh, to Port Covington. Let's explain what a TIFF is, first of all.
4: Okay. So we're going to go ahead and go to the uh, clip. Um, uh, What is a TIFF? Because a lot of people have problems with, with trying to figure out what a TIFF is.
5: Its official name is Tax Increment Financing, or TIF for short. It means the city issues bonds to pay for infrastructure for the project, like roads, streets and parks. And then the property tax revenue generated from the project goes not to the city's general fund, but to pay back the bond.
1: All in favor? Any opposed?
5: This morning, the board of, develop, of the board of the Baltimore Development Corporation unanimously approved the Port Covington TIF, the biggest the city's ever seen, at $535 million. It's intended to pay for the infrastructure of the project, a big piece of land just south of Interstate 95 near the Hanover Street Bridge. It is to be developed by Under Armour's Kevin Plank. The project includes a new headquarters for the company, other office space, housing and retail, its total cost, $5.5 billion, most of it paid for through private investment. Before the vote today, one board member brought up last spring's unrest in Baltimore to stress the project should have a broad benefit to the city.
4: Because of the things that have happened in our city over the last year that it
1: destroyed and it and impacted it so greatly that people look at whether or not they want to come into
5: our it, so it's important that all of our people benefit. A city official said today that the city is dealing with the developer called Sagamore Development on issues such as local hiring, affordable housing. Some of those agreements should be available within the next month. The TIF proposal now heads to the city's Board of Finance, then to the city council. It will be up to council president Jack Young to decide which council committee hears the proposal. As today, if Young supports the TIF, a spokesman told us, quote, he's intrigued.
2: Okay, and tips get a little more complicated and, and a little bit more shadier than what the way they explain. That's like the whitewashed uh, version of it. We'll go over you know, how, how devious these things really are, these instruments really are. Um, and and, and, and uh, Catherine Pugh said something that was very poignant. What she said was we need to share, and I hope she's uh, sincere. We need to share the wealth, Pugh said. And I'm reading this from the Sun. The um, last issue of the Sun paper. I mean, the Sunday Sun. We need to share the wealth, Pugh said. We need to increase opportunities across the board. We need to understand, when we lift the least of us, we lift all of us. There are no throwaway citizens. And that's the one, one thing we keep saying in this show. There's no throwaway citizens. We don't want to throw people away. And these people that have these criminal records, they're going to be with us. They're not going to And everybody in jail is going to get out sooner or later. These people aren't going anywhere. And we need to make a way for them to actually rehabilitate. Uh, Zach, you want to explain what the TIF are uh, actually for?
4: Well, the TIFs um, are supposed to be for uh, uh, businesses to um, you know, help out in blighted areas. Um, so I'm looking at the Baltimore Brew now, um, and they have a quote from uh, Councilman S- uh, Stokes, um, who said that TIFs are supposed to be for businesses and commercial areas that are blighted with high unemployment and high poverty levels. Um, so when you look at you know, Port Covington, that's not a uh, residential area that could be uh considered blighted and also the uh neighborhoods that are surrounding it, um, you know, wouldn't necessarily uh considered, you know, to be blighted. Um, so the investment is, you know, going to an area that, uh, you know, really doesn't need it. Um, you know, that money could be going to an area that's actually uh blighted, such as Juan, Winchester, uh Park Heights or, you know, anywhere else. Um So
2: that's that's five hundred billion dollars that's going, you know, that Baltimore's going to be leaving Baltimore for uh, about 10 years, and we're not going to start getting it back to about 2038, I I believe. um, So, that we can't do anything with. And then we're going to explain you know, how and why we should demand something for this money. Uh, But first, we're going to go to, uh, we'll try to explain the port company deal. There was concessions that they seemed to want to agree to, but we need to get this stuff in writing. So let's explain uh, the port company deal approval.
5: It wasn't just the Port Covington developer with the mayor today, but ministers and community leaders all touting the project as a $7.6 billion, 42,000 job-creating project that creates a whole new neighborhood in the city south of 95. We must get this right. And I believe that Port Covington will deliver for Baltimore City.
4: At a time when we have corporations across urban America moving to other places, we have a homegrown Fortune 500 company that's bringing its global operations to Baltimore City.
5: Proposed by Under Armour's real estate arm called Sagamore, Port Covington would become home to Under Armour's headquarters, along with other office space, as well as retail and residential space. To date, three agreements between Sagamore and the city were approved. They call for 20% of the jobs at the site to go to city residents. Sagamore will pay for a city hiring coordinator. It will spend $10 million over five years on training, youth programs, and summer jobs. And of an estimated 7,500 housing units, 10% will be affordable housing, with rents between $1,000 and $1,300. The developer says those affordable units will not be separate from the rest.
2: We see this
6: being an incredibly uh, inclusive area with integrated housing. Uh, we don't see taking areas and, and, and putting affordable housing here and non-affordable here. We're putting it all together.
5: shouldn't be a goal because... City Controller Joan Pratt and City Council President Jack Young both voted no on the agreements, even while saying they support the project.
6: I don't like the way this has gone because it did not go through the council process like we did with Harbor Point.
5: The project will go before the City Council in coming weeks. A representative of the Cherry Hill Community Association complained of not being included on the agreement on local hiring, suggesting jobs at the project should specifically go to the immediate surrounding communities. The city's Board of Finance reviews the project Monday in a public hearing. Okay, now,
2: <laughs> the way this TIF works is, uh, is they're taxing for, uh, financing bonds, and um, by the way, the number's 410 481 If you wanna, if you want to interject. But the way, it is, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way these tips are supposed to work is they're supposed to be, um, to, to pay for some of the infrastructure, the, the roads and all this stuff, dealing with that, that, um, uh, project by Sagamore. Sagamore is just a real estate investment arm of Armor, um, Under Armour, um, Under Armour Corporation. They're a real estate firm. Um. So they're, they're in business to make money, people. And um, so what they're going to do is they, what they want $535 million from the city of Baltimore. They also want um, millions of dollars from the federal government and millions of dollars from the uh, state of Maryland. That's, that's fine. You know, they have bigger pockets, deeper pockets in Baltimore City. I think the budget of Baltimore City is $3.5 billion or something of, of that um, area magnitude. Last time I, I carried a check, I could be wrong. But, but um, the way it's supposed to work normally is they pay for that stuff. OK, they pay for it, you know, and they make up their They recoup the the money they pay for the roads and all that stuff. The infrastructure su- supporting the project by the sales of the buildings and, and, the, and the services they provide. That's in the leasing of the of the land. OK, normally that's what the, the private industry pays for that. But what they're going to do is they're going to use taxpayer dollars to pay for those those uh, features. You know, um, And I'm breaking this down to you. And, and then what they're going to do is pay a special tax. A special tax means. It's not an extra tax. It's what the taxes they would have been paying all along for the land. For, the, for We all pay taxes. If you own a house, you pay taxes. Instead of the taxes going to the city tr- treasury, it's going to pay back the loan. So you can see, you know, how slick this thing is. Now they use the city money. They're using their regular taxes to pay back the loan with, that the city used the money to build stuff for in the first place. That's This is like if you own a house and the city says, oh, you know, you lived in, in a, um, a depressed environment. So what we're going to do is we're going to Build you a, a swimming pool with city money. We'll build you a sw- swimming pool with city money. We'll put wall wall carpeting in your house, and then to pay the loan back, just pay your taxes on your house, and we'll use that money to pay for all that carpeting and and uh, the, the the new swimming pool we put in. So, <laughs> when you understand it that way, you understand how slick this is. There's smart smart people that come up with these deals, and they're so complicated, the average person doesn't want to, you know, you know, get get their eyes sore trying to figure it out. I'm Zach.
4: Um, and then you know, with the with the money not going back into the city general fund, but to pay back a loan, um, that doesn't benefit the people. Um, you years? know, there is the um, the possibility of your average citizen's taxes, uh, you know, increasing to make up for that gap um, when you know the taxes that were being paid by this huge corporation are just going to uh, pay back a loan, and you know they say that um, that will benefit from it, um, you know, by the job opportunities right, right. and everything. But that's
2: like, get back to my story about the house. I can say, well, it's generating jobs. You know, the city's paying for the swimming pool and all that, but it's generating mm-hmm. jobs. I need pool makers and I need uh, carpet installers for those jobs that, right. you know, so I'm taking city money, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm generating jobs. They're, they're working in my house.
4: And then also, <laughs> too, they say, you know, only 10% is going to be affordable housing and it's going to be integrated. And oh, that's that process is a great <laughs> 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 and and you know, um from my understanding, uh you, you know, Sagamore being a private business, they're not necessarily bound to to these uh terms. It's right, more they're not a, they're bound a, to it's things. more of a, you know, good faith uh thing. Right. So and, whether or not they sign it or not, you know, who knows what's really gonna and, happen. And,
2: and I want you to I want my you know, to let me know how many people you know works down at Harbor East that you know. So I don't think just because again, you don't have to live in Baltimore to work in Baltimore. Okay, these people come outside the city. Like I said, the Boston police department from out, uh, out from outside of Baltimore. We had a deputy mayor that was from outside of Baltimore. So you don't have to live in Baltimore, or work in Baltimore. So don't think just because you they're they they um saying okay, well we're gonna give you these jobs and some um desegregated housing, you know, <laughs> to live in. That um it's it's a total it's all benefit. They're saying twenty percent of the jobs will go to city residents, but we got to make sure. That in our over-incarcerated communities, like Santa Winchester, that ex-offenders can get those jobs as well. And, um, you know, so we got to look closely at these deals because that's the way they discriminate against you. Oh, you know, we hire Negroes. We just don't hire Negroes with criminal records. Okay. So you're, you're not qualified. Okay. You're not qualified to job. So we these things we got to take a very deep look at instead of just accepting them at face value. And they're saying that um, they use $10 million to pay for training, youth programs, and summer jobs. That's just great. We ship some jobs anyway every year for our youth, okay? Uh, but um, yeah, I would, I would. I'm all in favor of pulling their arms, you know. But ten million dollars over five years is not a lot of money, all right? Ten million dollars over five years is not a lot of money. We're talking about a half a billion dollars, okay? So let's not be, you know, gonna uh, put to sleep with some of this stuff. And uh, again, these uh, this affordable housing this is going to be housing uh, that's from a thousand dollars to thirteen hundred dollars. And they're not going to segregate you, so you can live with the white folks and all this stuff if you want to live there, which is fine. I don't have anything against um, integration, but you know, they should—that should be a, a given—that um, you know, we're going to all—you know, we're not going to have segregated housing in this day and age. I would think, you know, maybe I'm wrong. So, what we need to do is we need to start—we um, need to hold people's feet to the fire and don't accept problems. We need stuff in writing, you know, that this is going to benefit our people. And um, let's share the wealth. It's enough to go around. You don't have to be greedy and, t- and take everything, every, every little nickel, you know, that, like, like Zach just indicated. That money, that $500 million, that's, that's something that's out of the city's treasury to help our depressed communities that, that you're giving to wealthy people, okay? So we got to understand things and what's going on. You know, they're not paying for this stuff. They're using money from the city treasury to pay for this stuff, and they're using their regular taxes that they would, they would pay anyway to pay the loan back. Very slick, very slick people, and they and I think it was a Harvard, uh, uh, Harford County version of the Sun that said that uh, that um, when they tried it up in Harvard County, that um, that that um, tips were nothing more than a flim flam, uh, a form of corporate welfare. Why is it a flim flam in Baltimore? Okay, so, okay, no, but in Harvard <laughs> County, apparently it is. So let's start only these people's feet to the fire. Let's start demanding stuff. Let's stop asking for stuff from these politicians. And, um, you know, they depend on us for their vote, for for our vote, and to get in office. And uh, let's let's make sure we hold their feet to the fire and make sure they, that they're sharing the wealth and not, you know, some billionaires will come into town with these jobs. And again, if you've got to build all these buildings, somebody's got to work there anyway. So the jobs, the problems with jobs is not necessarily them doing us a favor. Somebody's got to work in those buildings. The buildings aren't going to be empty Okay. Again, you know, if, it, if I get the city to pay for my wall, wall carpeting and my swimming pool, it's creating jobs. But why should the city be paying for that? That's my responsibility, not the city's. Uh, Leroy, uh,
3: yeah. And you know, when it comes to uh, to this Port Covington, Port Co- Covington, Co- Covington deal, also is the fact that um, when it comes to the residential uh, element of this deal, it's, um, it's estimated that. 12,000 people will live there and they intend, they think that all the great majority of them, if not all of them will be uh, from out of the front, from out of state. So, uh, so there, so there alone, that's one part that doesn't exactly benefit, you know, Baltimoreans as well as uh, 800 of those 12,000 residents are supposed to be students for, uh, who will also be out of state. And when I think of students, especially in Baltimore, you know, always fucking around and being around, I just think of, you know, I think of whites, I don't especially in that area, um you know, close to downtown, um, in that general area. and also when it comes to the amount of money that the city will be pouring into this um, in, into this deal. We have issues with the with the school system, so recently the sun um earlier in April they published a piece on Cecil elementary school and how they've been using bottled water for a long time because they can't afford to replace their pipes and This isn't one thing uh um this this isn't like one thing that's happening only in that one school in the system uh right now, the school system spends a total of four hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year supplying bottled water to six of one hundred and eighty schools. So who's going to who so who's going to solve this
0: issue? Right.
2: So you see how when you analyze this stuff, it doesn't sound you know as great as they're touting it. These people are, are excellent at promoting themselves and promoting what they're gonna so called do for the city. But we have depressed communities people and uh we have people, you know, again, Santa Winchester, a primary example. Fifty one point eight percent unemployment. Google it. Okay. Why? Because almost every other house has a person that's been incarcerated we got to deal with that population of people so they don't recidivate and make our neighborhoods dangerous while they're doing it, okay? So you know, the way to do that is if you give somebody a job. Guess what? If, if you've got a job, it's hard to sell dope or whatever you do, you know, after uh, you've been criminalized if you're working somewhere, nor do you have the interest you retire when you don't work So in a lot of cases, especially if you're making a living wage. So we got to figure out ways to, to make sure our people get a living wage and jobs. And to help deal with this this, this problem of, um, you know, these black markets in our communities that's making our communities unsafe. And if you think this doesn't affect you, you know, okay, well, next time they have a shootout over drug turf, you know, you just watch, you know, your kids or whatever. So this affects all of us. You know, this affects all of us. So don't think it doesn't affect you. It does. All right. Okay. Now, <clears throat> we're about to close the show. Um, any closing remarks, Zach? At-
4: um, I was just going to say that, um, you know, when it comes to things like TIFFs um, and, you know, a lot of things that politicians say, they use this terminology that we aren't familiar with. Um, so it's very important to analyze it and really understand um, exactly what's going on. Um, and we bring that to you every week on this show. So listen to our back catalog at SoundCloud dot com slash call Tyrone show.
2: Yeah, we record every show on the Internet. So if you want to go back and hear yourself talking <laughs> or hear somebody said you want to disagree with me later, the, the shows are hung on SoundCloud you can Google call Tyrone SoundCloud and you'll see the shows hung there. Um, uh, Leroy, anything?
3: Uh, you know, finally, um I would say, you know, also just make sure that you're always, you know, fact checking, um, you know, a lot of politicians within this field right now because for example, when it comes to this whole issue of for profit uh prisons, Marco Rubio, for example, he's received a total of around forty thousand dollars in donations from these kind of these kinds of for profit uh prison corporations.
2: Okay, so learning things without proper dialysis isn't learning at all. So make sure we do the proper dialysis so we can hold our politicians' feet to the fire. And let's demand. Let's stop asking. Let's demand. Okay? Let's demand the stuff of our politicians. And thank you for another episode and and your listening time of The Call Tyrone Show. Feel free to tune in next week at 2 o'clock between 2 and 3. Thank you for your time.